All right. Good morning. This is uh, Aaron Larson with uh, my partner in crime, Ben. Good morning. Good morning. So this is Life by the Drop, a podcast about addiction and recovery. So we're getting to it back into the rhythm of stuff. It was like two weeks ago, or was it longer than it was that? Maybe three weeks maybe ago. Maybe three weeks ago. I have no concept of time to begin with. You know, it's been two years pretty much since Corona started. How's that from my bender? That's, it seems, it seems longer, but... Does it seem longer But to shorter. You? Mm. Again, I have no concept of time, so right. I'm not sure how that works. But, I'm, but during that whole time, we were on a roll. We met almost every week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we started like December of 2020? 20? 20? No, 2019. No, 2019. Yeah. And then I think we did, we did maybe one or two in December. Uh, and then we did, and that's just of the life by the drop one are still basement tape, greatest conversations in the world yet to be yeah. released. That's, you know, um, those 15 episodes, <laughs> this is a Tokyo bootleg, <laughs> dude, this is going to be cheap trick live at Budokan, bro. It's going to be so good. I'm telling you <laughs> radio head at the rock of <laughs> 99. It will not be the doors at the Hollywood bowl. That was an atrocious show. Anyways, um, but uh, but yeah, then we we pumped out like two or three in January, mm-hmm. February, and then and then um, I don't know what happened. Life just kind of got. Yeah, I think there was some fatigue, something, some fatigue, and then we got back. Three it was twenty nineteen, right? Not not twenty twenty. Well, no, I like... maybe it was twenty twenty, December of twenty twenty. What no, month? Is... No, 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 no. It couldn't. Have... Why is it December? I, I think it could have been. Um... St- I know we started in December because oh, okay. I was looking through the, our our files. But, you know, maybe we... That was pre-COVID. No, you know what? Yeah, 2019, we started The Greatest Conversations one, I think. Yes. I think that's what it was. It was and music. Then, yeah, yeah, and then we rolled Then we rolled into uh, into this one. I hijacked it and monopolized your time. So, well, that, you actually told me to post all of those, and I didn't. Wow. Well, it's because we didn't have a good mic, but today we have a great mic. Now we have a we great have mic. mic. That's right. We and are, this is a topic that's very important to yes, both of yes. us. And I have to say, so... Um, I'm getting used to this whole, like we're doing Instagram live. Uh, I'm going to hopefully learn. I, I sound so. I, all I hear in my head right now is my kids going, whatever, boomer. Anyways. Um, they don't say boomer, do they? Yeah. That, not so much. It was a thing. You know, I think it's okay. Okay, boomer. Okay, yeah. Okay, boomer. Okay, boomer. Um, but uh, like the last one we did posted or had live, mm-hmm. right? And then I hit the wrong button. So it wasn't available for later viewing. Not that I know if anybody's even viewing this or would want to view it later, but, you know. I'm I know saying. someone who did. I'm just saying. I know someone who did. Who watched it? No. Oh. <laughs> Get my hopes up there for a minute. No, but if you, you got to give yourself a lot of credit. Think about what's happening here. You have a computer. Ugh. You have a microphone. You're connected to the World Wide Web. I like you that you called phone. it that. Yes. That's connected in a different way. Yes. We have AirPods in our ears. So this is so hopefully people can Are you hear not stuff. techie? <laughs> or a boomer? And all I can hear, and I'm not a boomer, all right? I'm a Gen Xer. I just want to say that, okay? Um, all I can hear my kids is saying, my kids', is, my kids is voice is going to my head going, Dad, that's a day at school for us. So really, I can't, I can't, I can't be too proud. That's we set it. this up at 8 in the morning. It's Dad. like, this is what we do every day for school. We live stream all of our classes. Yeah. <laughs> To all of our followers on Twitch. <laughs> Anyways, so yeah, if 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 you feel like it, 
Son of Lars eighty eight. It's my Instagram. I guess do they call it a handle? I don't even know. Like back in the yeah, I believe so. It's like what's your handle? I'm thinking back of like in November of nineteen <laughs> two thousand nineteen. <laughs> they called it a handle. So that's what we're that's what we're doing. Anyway, so yeah. Uh, but so what I did, uh, I, I never know what we're going to talk about when we get together. I mean, I don't know what we're going to talk about. I never know what, what we're going to say. Yeah, that, that's the best part about this. That's why it's a real conversation. That's we, why it's a great conversation. Mm-hmm. We have our coffee. And I have to say, like, if you went into business, you, you should open up a bit. Haircuts and coffee, bro. That just rings right I'm there. I'm over the haircuts, man. Oh, come what on. Was it? Really? Yeah, so I hope none of the people that I give haircuts to are listening to this. <laughs> But the thing was, during that, the whole pandemic, every barbershop was closed, and it got out that I do haircuts for myself. And so people started calling me up and asking me. Then I got a bonsai tree, and I, it was outside right. here, you know. And then people started calling me the bonsai barber. Oh, my God. You, you've got so many or, great names for this or, already. Yeah, and you know how you, you trim a bonsai yeah. tree, right? Yeah, yeah, And... Then they were coming, and it started getting out of control because there were about four people <laughs> on rotation, and then you add in maybe two others, and they're getting haircuts now every three weeks, right? Right. So I'm I'm cutting hair like on Wednesday night. <laughs> hey man, can you make you know I got I got stuff I have to do, bro. And they come over, you know, and. There's now they're inviting their children. Oh my god! So I got their children coming over, you know, and they're like, yeah, yeah. And I can't accept any money, right. obviously, because it's not that good. Wow. Well, if they're continuing to come back to you, it must be good. Well, yeah, maybe they're maybe they're cheap, maybe they <laughs> they're gracious, but. Anyways, I I do. <clears throat> I can't do yours. I can't do yours. Yours is. What do you do with that thing? I just, I got my... It's a Bic? Kareen. I, so I alternate. So mm-hmm. Kareen bought me a, like a head, actual, like, you know, like, you know, face shaver, but it's for head. So a okay. head shaver. So I'll do that for maintenance. And then it, maybe once a month, I'll take a razor to it just to get the clean sheen on it. So I just... How, how does that feel you know, to have that level of oh, clean? It feels good. Wow. It feels good. Wow. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I like it. I like it. If you, you don't, you can't relate to it. Maybe you can, but you ever see someone with a totally bald head and you just want to hold it? Oh, yeah. Okay. I walk around like this all the time after I shave my head. It's great. <laughs> my daughter, my daughter, Kayala, she'd be like, Dad, Dad, come here. Ah. Uh-huh. <laughs> or when it, the or, feeling of yeah. like, oh. Uh, it's just, I don't know. There's something about, there's something about that. But anyway, so we're not here to talk about haircuts. Um, but we're back. We're back because yeah. this is the second time we're meeting after the hiatus, the hiatus. I've heard it both ways. When we've had the um, the two year stint where right. we did one almost every week. Yeah. And uh, I started missing the coffee, man, and the and the the hangout. I'm telling you, yeah. For me, you know, we talk about you know being in recovery. We talk about staying sober or helping family members or friends or. or Coworkers, whatever it is, to step in that place of sobriety. So for me, after uh, the first quarantine lockdown thing happened, because um, I was doing AA every single day, uh, seven days a week. Then I went to like six days a week. I had my routine. Then everything shut down. Um, so it went to, <coughs> excuse me, went to online Zoom. And so I was doing it maybe four days a week. Then went to three days a week. Then it was like uh, maybe twice a week. 
Uh, and then I did a little experiment where I was like, I'm not gonna not gonna do that. I still meet with my addiction counselor once to two times a month, which really helps. And then, but the big thing for me was community. But what I learned when we when we didn't do this was that this, even just sitting here talking about this, right, is vital to my sobriety. Mm-hmm. Um, one, because it keeps the thing, the stories they come back. The, even the feelings and emotions of things when we're talking about it, hearing what you've been through, things that um, you know worked for you, uh, um, your family, things like that, just keeps me in the mindset of, yeah, addiction is a disease. And it's, like it says, it's a progressive fatal disease. And it's never going to stop. I can stop drinking and using, which I have, and, but my disease is always there. And it only takes, you know, it's not even the drink or the drug. It takes that, the, the thought. Emotional sobriety is something. It's like we have to be, I have to be emotionally sober. Meaning that I'm going to have triggers every single day. I'm going to have struggles every single day. Some are worse than others. Um, but I have to know how to deal with that. Because when I lapse mentally or emotionally, that's when the relapse really begins. Now, I might not pick up a drink or a drug for a week, two weeks, a month, whatever, but emotionally, I start to degrade. So without community, without being able to talk about this, without being able to have someone listen, or even better yet, what, what I hope this is doing for people is being a voice of hope. I hope, I hope that's what's happening when people are listening to this, that there's a, vo- a voice of hope putting a new face to what addiction looks like, what an addict really is. Uh, it's, it's not just the people who are down, to use Oahu as an example, living on hotel street. I mean, we have a certain picture in mind of a homeless person who's smoking crack or, or whatever, smoking ice. Um, that's not the face of addiction anymore. It's different in 2021, and it, it affects everybody. I think if everybody was just to take a moment right now and go, you know, do I know somebody who's struggled with addiction uh, or who has struggled, again, with drinking or drugs, that you're going to find somebody in your circle of friends or in your family that is wrestled with it. That's how prevalent this disease is. That's how prevalent this problem is. And so I hope this is a voice of hope. And what I've learned is that when I meet and I sit and I hear your stories and we talk and we have this connection, I walk away feeling so much better than when I sat down. Yeah, like when you hear me talking, I feel so much better about myself. You walk away going, oh my gosh, that was so encouraging somehow. I feel, I got to pray for that guy. It's been, it's been on my heart and my to-do list for a long time. It's just a reminder, right? I'm so glad that you feel better about your life. You know what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. Um, you know, it's, it's... The feeling's mutual. I, I've been blessed too because every time we get together, I think, for me, I said, am I an introvert? You know, am I an extrovert? I... I'm 42 years old. I should know this. Right. I don't know. Because during the pandemic, I was the happiest guy in the whole world. Right. I was by myself. Yeah. But then I was like, no, actually, I had my constants. We had our meeting, our Sunday morning meeting. Right. We did this. I had my Wednesday night where I went and did, you know, that. I had about four or five touch points. And that's really all I needed to get through. But I think... We talked about this last week, the most, or the last time we got together, the most important thing in someone's recovery is community. Right. And and that has been such a big part of me too. 
And I think in my recovery, because I don't think it's as acute as everybody's, because it was so long ago, but being in relationship with others, you know, my church that I'm a part of, yeah. the small group, the friend group that we have, then touch points that we've had throughout the years, it's the reason why I'm still walking with the Lord, which is why I'm still moving forward in my sobriety, yeah. I would say. Yeah. And, um, in this, it, you know, if you're alone, you get depressed. If you're depressed, you do things. And I think this is key for us, man, is just to continually um, get together for these coffees and yeah. do this because it helps both of us. Yeah, and it does. It is. So gonna gonna going to springboard off what you just said because I, I 100% agree with everything you just said. Um, so I woke up this morning. Uh, I was getting ready. And even though, like, this is some of the greatest coffee ever, and, and I mean that, uh, I still it, have you, to... I, you don't have to. It's no, not that good. It's good. It's good. It's more the fellowship. Maybe yeah. that's what... Maybe it's the... Yeah, the koinonia, the they call it. The sweetener of fellowship makes this coffee good. That's a commercial waiting to happen right there, right? In a small Amish community. There. <laughs> <laughs> don't play that. <laughs> Drink but, 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 they'll, but they'll have to say it face-to-face because they don't have any electronics. But anyways, right, right, right. The, the point is taken. Um, so Because so, I still have my routine. I still go to McDonald's and get my large coffee and have that before I come over. Um, what was my point? What was my point? Well, that's why you use the bathroom 16 times yeah, during this right, whole time right. that we're here for one hour. <laughs> Which now that, now that we're, we're doing the Instagram live thing, I, 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 can't, I can't take my 15 trips to the bathroom. You could, but I'd just be talking about you the whole time. It, yeah, and it would just be awkward. Yeah. Anyways, um, so I got up this morning, did my routine, grabbed my coffee, came back, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. Uh, and so, I'm, so I texted some of my friends that I went to uh, rehab with, this place called The Retreat in YZ of Minnesota. Yes, that is a totally shameless plug for them. Uh, and one of the things that I asked them uh, was, so what are some things that you would want people to know about when you were in your addiction and when you were in recovery? What are some things that, that need to be brought up? <clears throat> what needs to be talked about that people have to have an understanding? Because I'll tell you this, um, that they're... Um, it's hard if you haven't gone through it. Even if you've been um, on the outskirts where a loved one has gone through addiction, uh, has gotten is in recovery, uh, it's very difficult, I think, to know unless you've been there what that individual is thinking and feeling. I, I think that there's definitely um, compassion that can come from that, uh, sympathy, but that empathizing where it's like, I know exactly how you feel. I think that's difficult. And it can, I think there's a stigma around uh, addicts and addiction. That's like, oh, you're morally weak or you're just not able to make right decisions or like, how come you can't just clean up? Things like, and these are all like these cliche, stereotypical things, but they're a reality for so many people. And addiction is a disease. There's something that happens in our brains as addicts that motivate us to make these decisions not excusing my responsibility for my actions at all. And that's the weird thing. That's the two, two sides of the same coin. Because I can't, go, I can't look at Karina and go, oh, I'm sorry I was such a jerk for like five years, but hey, I was drunk and on drugs. Sorry, just deal with it. That, that, you know, one, I would be totally knocked out. <laughs> but I caught the disease. Right, right, yeah. See, I had it. That's <laughs> what I had. I caught it. So it's, it's one of those things where, and my addiction counselor, my doctor, had to really help me understand because early on in my recovery I would say stuff like this where I would I would I would make it okay for people to say or think certain things about me 
or I would take 100% blame for every relationship problem in my life. And I'm not mm. just talking about with Kareen I'm, or my kids. I'm talking with, with everybody, whether it's at work or friends or, or people who drive on the road, whatever it would be. And um, she's like, Aaron, do you realize like not everything is 100% your fault? And I'm like, well, yeah. She's like, no, but do you understand that? And I'm like, no, I, I, I don't. I'm willing to throw myself under the bus because like I made these d- decisions. And, and she helped me understand what happens in an alcoholic's brain, in an addict's brain, where literally your brain is rewired. Not to mention that there, for, for me, there's a long line and long history of alcoholism and drug addiction on my mother's side that I didn't know until I got out of rehab. Uh, where people had like overdosed on stuff, had you know died in um, while drinking and driving, or all these just horrible, horrible stuff. I'm like, I never knew. So most likely, genetically, I'm predisposed for substance abuse, mm-hmm. and that has to factor in. And if I'm a hundred percent honest, which I'm probably not being a hundred percent honest, if I could be a hundred percent honest, um, so maybe eighty percent honesty here. Um, yeah. I still wrestle with. What? Well, I'll just say it this way. Who can I blame? <laughs> okay. I'm either going to blame myself 100% or can I blame, it was the disease 100%. Where's the balance of taking responsibility for my actions, but understanding what motivated and drove that, right? So back to what I was saying before, unless you got something. No, I was saying that, you know, in a business, even if you, if you share, you know, ownership or equity, Someone can take 51% of right. the equity right? and they can make every decision. And I think it's like, without any research, just from my own life, I would say the healthy equity share is 51% responsibility. Mm. You can go all the way up to that. That's nice. You know, because the, the responsibility thing is the thing that sets you free. Right. So even though you, you want wow. to blame something else, and give, you don't want to give it the power over you. Then it has 50. Then it can make all the decisions. So even I take the responsibility because that way I can take the glory. Mm. And I have the power to keep on going. Right. Wow. So I just learned something right there. So I never looked at it that way. Um, that there's, there's really f- freedom in accepting responsibility of my actions, regardless of what the impetus was or regardless of what like started that ball rolling um there's freedom for me to say and and, you know part of the 12 steps is you do a step four you're doing a searches i always get this wrong fearless and searching moral inventory you go over your whole life and all the things that you've done wrong all the things that have happened and when when we did it there's this last this fourth column or fifth column and you list all these things out and this, this this fifth column is what was your part in it? Mm-hmm. And when I, when I heard that, when I first read this, and they were, they were kind of bringing us through to do this, I'm like, what do you mean what was my part in it? Because I'm thinking about past trauma. I'm thinking about things that, that happened to me beyond my control that did contribute to the choices I made to drink and use drugs, all the way from when I was 13, 12 years old, all the way up until my 48, when I finally st- stepped into a program. Uh, and I'm like, listen, I had an abusive stepmom. There's no way you're going to tell me that I had a part in that. Mm-hmm. And I wrestled with that. But here's what you just said that just blew my mind. The freedom came when I sat down and took a long, hard look at that and said, okay, did I deserve to be treated that way? Absolutely not. Yet, I allowed it 
to happen. Now, I am not, and this is for me. I want to be very clear. Like, you know, other people's situations are different. So I, at no, in no way am I saying if you're the victim of any type of abuse that you caused it uh, or, or um, it's your fault. I'm not saying that. I'm saying for me, for Aaron, when I look back at that time in my life, how it connects to my addiction and my using, um, I never spoke up. And that perpetuated it. Again, that's not my fault that she was doing these things to me. Um, but I realized that freedom came when I said, I now realize I have a voice. I now realize I can stand up for myself or I can stand up for somebody else. And therefore, the freedom comes that I'm not backed in a corner. Because for years, that trauma, I mean, I carried that all the way, I mean, up, well, up until probably two or three years ago. I, I carried that, um, uh, or three, how long have I been sober? Three years, June, July, August, two months, eight days, something like that. Anyways, but who's counting? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyways. Keep but, getting those chips, man. Right, right, there you go. I, I'm telling you, uh, okay, that's all, okay, I got to focus here. ADD moment there. That's a whole other thing on that I love. Anyways, so back to talking to my friends this morning, texting back and forth about, hey, what would have helped them? We've touched on so many of those things, but talk about trauma. So my friend Steph, um, uh, that's one thing that she brought up, and I, I, I tried to take notes because all the notes are on my phone, so I tried to write them down. Um, but she said for her, and I think, and I, I agree with this, trauma uh, and um, the process of, of getting sober and staying sober are, are intimately and intricately connected. Because if, because I can get sober and I can define sobriety as I don't drink or use drugs. Okay, I, yeah, absolutely. I, I can do that. But that doesn't mean that I'm fully walking in 100% health or even healing or that process of healing. Because for me, the drinking and the drugs wasn't the problem. Right. It was the solution. And there's a marked difference from when I was partying back when I was 12, 13, all the way through up until I was 25. Um, that was about the party in the beginning. It was, I, I loved how it felt when I got high. I loved how it felt when uh, when I would drink. It just like it was just this this freedom would wash over me, and I'm like, this is the best thing ever. And I think about it because I have my kids are 19, 17, and 14, and I'm sitting on the couch with with my youngest Israel. He's 14. And, and I'm looking at him and I'm like, I was like smoking pot and drinking as much as I possibly could when I was 14 years old. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I, and then I look at my son and I'm like, how on earth can that be happening? Like, how could I have been doing, because you know, you, I don't romanticize it or maybe I do a little bit, but I'm just like, you know, well, I was older and different and maybe I was in some ways, but, but I'm just like, that's too young to be doing that. That's too young to be doing that. And it's just, it's crazy. Um, but my point is, what was my point? Where was I going with you, this? You're talking to all your friends at the, uh, oh, trauma. At the retreat. <clears throat> so, so, the, so this thing of having to deal with this trauma that happened. So it was about the party when I was in high school and then in my, my 20s. Um, but because my mom died when I was six and then my dad died when I was 18. After my dad died, that, it was no longer about the party. It instantly became about not feeling anything. It instantly became about buffering myself from life. That's when the real isolation you were just talking about. Am I an introvert? Am I an extrovert? How does that work? Why am I so happy that everything's locked down and I can just be me, right? Uh, that's when the isolation stopped or started for me. 
Uh, now, 17 years clean and sober, relapse in 2012. Um, it was no longer about the party. It was about remembering the feeling of the buffering of life or buffering from life that, that really got me hooked back into continually using. And then mm-hmm. after, you know, probably instantaneously, but, you know, definitely after that first bottle of 30 <laughs> Vicodin, um, it was like, yeah, I don't want to turn back. I like how this feels. I can deal with life or not deal with life. I, things that people say or do or at work or at home, I don't care. This is great to have this buffer and to just not have to deal with life. And then that just was, you know, a slow descent into hell after, you know, up until 2018. But again, what my friend Steph was saying is that for her, relapses began with not dealing with trauma. And she's at a, uh, a, a much, much better place in her life and in her recovery because she's taking the steps to deal with that, right? And probably not perfectly. Why? Because we're human. We don't do things perfectly. But she realizes, mentally and emotionally, what needs to be dealt with. Now, we didn't get too much into it, but how she's dealing with that? Right. That's the question. How do you deal yeah. with trauma? You know, and I know that... Um, She's uh, seeing professionals for that. She's taking these things seriously. But, but it doesn't lessen having to process through those emotions, right? And that's where getting sober and working a program of recovery while dealing with the past trauma, that's how those things connect. Because if you don't have that, so I can stay sober, but I'm just, you know, they call it like a dry drunk. I'm just, I, I'm a total mm-hmm. a-hole, um, I hate everybody. I don't want to be around anybody, but I'm not drinking or using. Yeah, but nobody likes you and you still don't even like yourself. It's like, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I love what you said about drinking. Isn't the problem. It's a solution. Right. And so profound because I've never heard that before. And I think it's so true. You know, that this is the issue I have at my, my life is, and I don't, I'm not saying I, I want to, or I'm ready to go to counseling or anything, but right. You know, how come everyone has to go to counseling? You know, this is, but I, I'm, I'm, right. I'm push. I always push back because I don't yeah. do it. Right. Right. But you, you think in some of the arguments are, well, you know, the last 4,000 years of history, they didn't have counselors. They had friends. <laughs> they, and the problem is they live, you know, they lived in community. Right. And they had people to talk to. But the truth is, no, they didn't talk as deeply. You know, like a now is the most where we express everything we feel. Right. Online even. And We're willing. People want to hear this it or not. This is what I've been through. <laughs> right. This is me. You know, back yeah. in the day, they didn't even, their wives didn't even know, right. what, you was know going what happened. And, yeah. and so I'm just thinking, wow, how does one deal with trauma? Is it counseling? What level of trauma do you have to have had to go to some sort of thing like that? Why am I so scared? Right. You know, so you're dealing with... I've never dealt with my trauma. Right. I, I don't think professionally Well, not professionally, but I think just in our conversations that we've had just on this podcast, I think that you have... I think you have dealt with a lot of it. And as far as processing it... Now, again, I, I don't know what your thoughts and emotions are, so I can't say this 100%, but from... At least there's there's an understanding for you, from when I hear what you're saying, Ben, that you understand what the trauma was in your life. You even understand the um, the outcome of that trauma in your life. You're seeing the roots. Like I, I like to frame it up like this: that these experiences of, of you know good or bad in our lives, um, they, it's like a plant, right? That seed is planted, and the roots 
of that trauma or the roots of those wonderful things that happen in our life, they go down deep and they like they grow into our heart. They become a part of us, right? And we begin to live out of the fruit of those roots. I might have stretched that analogy too it's far. Good. No, okay, it's does it make sense? Yeah. Um, and it does. And if we don't unroot or, or or dig up and get rid of those things, you know, we can we can cut it off and say, oh, I'm not doing this anymore. But if the roots are still there and they're not dealt with, it's going to grow back eventually, right? I mean, I was. I didn't deal with any of my trauma. And then 17 years, I, I got saved, gave my life to the Lord when I was 25, right? Went right into Youth with the Mission, missions. I finally had a purpose. I felt better about myself, but I just stopped. And I just said, I'm not gonna deal with it. My past is my past, right? And I made the mistake that maybe a lot of people who become Christians do, which is like, oh, the Bible says I'm a new creation in Christ, right? That the oldest past, all things are new. Spiritually, that's true. Mentally and emotionally, you got to deal with your crap. You have to. And it's different for everybody, right? I had an experience when uh, I was doing my, my DTS, my discipleship training school in 96 in Maui, where the Lord just cleaned house. And I mean, experience Holy Spirit in the moment um, where he did some huge, huge work. I'm like, oh my gosh, so many things were like, there's forgiveness that was released, um, I got understanding to certain things. It was just one of those moments that that if, if you're not a Christian, you're just like, oh, you're one of those guys? Yeah, I guess I am. But if, you, if you've had those moments, right, um, you understand what I'm talking about. And But here's the thing. I, once that moment was passed, I never started to live out the things that the Lord brought up in my life that I should have been facing, that I should have been dealing with, that I should have been taking responsibility for. Um, and so... The plant was cut, but the roots weren't taken out. Mm-hmm. And it, over the course of time, those things began to grow. Interesting. And because my, uh, I don't know, my MO is um, isolating myself, putting up walls emotionally, trying to be uh, liked by everybody, um, performance mentality. If I can do something for you or I get accolades for, from you, then I'm doing good right? Mm-hmm. Which is why I was an associate pastor at a church while addicted to painkillers and preaching, not very well, addicted to painkillers. I saw one good sermon. There. Did you see yeah, one? Okay. okay. All right. Um, walking with other people through their crap in life, yet not taking care of my own because I, I can still help others, but I don't have to deal with my stuff. And you can only do that for so long. It's eventually going to catch up to you, right? Uh, and, and again, that looks different for everybody. But I think that, you know, th- that link back to um, how do we deal with these things? How do we deal with trauma? It's a process, right? And I think, I don't, now, Karina and I have had a lot of conversation about this. And, 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 and I, I do agree with her, not just because it's being recorded and she might hear this. I actually do agree with her on this. You think um, she, does she, what's the chances she'd listen to this? No, she doesn't listen to this. Uh, <laughs> She's got to put up with me. Sure, that's what I all day. What I why would she want to? Why would you want to listen to me? The chances are zero percent. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyways, um, uh, there's freedom in that truth, um, and accountability because there's always a chance. So I got to make sure I'm telling the truth. Uh, but um, it, so I would agree with her when she says this. She's like, I think everybody can benefit from counseling because we all have stuff. And I think that I think I think that yes, I think that everybody no matter how great you're doing or how bad you're doing, can benefit from stepping into that place of a counselor. And I think this is why. 
Um, I, I think because uh, when you're dealing with, and it's not just a professional <laughs> that oh, they, they know how the mind works and this, and they can give me these steps or whatever like that. I think it's more so that the the relationship gap between the person sitting across from you, who's a professional, who you know, this is their job, and my my l- somewhat limited experience with with counselors. I've only been at like one, two, three. I've only like four, maybe five, four or five. Anyways, uh, has been that um, they don't have answers for me, but they help me process through the emotions. And then there's 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 um, not answers, but there's steps that I need to take or things that I need to think about or clarity or voice of reason um, that I'm not going to get from somebody who, who, who loves and cares for me in that way, like my wife or a friend, right? And I think that distance there, I think that's what makes the difference. And I think that we, um, you know, we, can, we can be, uh, there can be freedom in that. Now, my pause was this. So I remember when I first went to, I, I was seeing, um, I was seeing a counselor for other issues um, while I was <laughs> drinking and using, um, and um, I never brought up the fact that I was drinking and using, right? But I mean, for a lot of different reasons, right? But, uh, but there was good work done, and there there was a foundation laid. And then my good friend Dean, uh, he walked with me and Kareen before they knew I was drinking and using. Um, through a bunch of stuff within our marriage, our communication, just personally, and things were rooted out, right? But I remember um, when everything hit the fan and uh, I finally went to see my addiction counselor and I was sitting there um, and I had also been, um, I was still drinking, right? Uh, But I stepped into this place. Um, My doctor who had a full docket wasn't seeing people. My other counselor, when I finally came up and said, hey, I'm drinking and using, I need, I need help. And, and my, my, my first doctor, Dr. Michelle, she's like, you know what? I, I, have a, I have a counselor, Dr. Nikki, that I'd love for you to see. And so let me put in a good word. And Dr. Nikki had zero openings, zero openings. And Dr. Michelle was like, it's a great guy or something like that. Um, you, you've got, you know, he needs help. Can you, and, and she's like, okay, I'll see him, right? So she, it was like a six o'clock meeting on like a Wednesday night or something like that, right? The only opening, I didn't even know if she had, you know, she probably wasn't even working. I don't know, but she she saw me uh, and um, got in there and I'm super guarded, right? And I'm like, you know, I don't know about this. Mm-hmm. There, I'm, I'm dealing with guilt, with shame. Uh, I'm fully isolated, uh, cut off from my family, even, you know, even though we're doing daily life together, but not really. And... Um, there was one thing, so we got through this, like, how much are you drinking? What are you doing? How long is like, The whole nine yards, right? And said, okay, great. Well, if you want, I'm like, yeah, let's definitely meet again. And we meet again, met another time. Um, and, um, but I could be whoever I wanted. It was my choice what I shared with Dr. Nikki. And I could be like, okay, I can do the whole performance thing. And I can convince her that I got it all together or that I'm making the right decisions or the right choices, Right. Um, but the one thing I didn't tell her up and I think it was maybe our third, third meeting or so, um, was that I was cutting myself, right? So I was cutting my arm and my, my leg and torso and stuff like that. And, um, because there was so much shame and I was so paranoid that if I reveal this to her, she's not going to want to see me. She's going to have me committed. They're going to take my kids away. My wife is going to leave me. It's just like all this fear and shame that was preventing me 
in this context of just sharing everything with her so I could get the healing that I needed, right? Because mm-hmm. I can hold back whatever I want. Um, and they can only do with what, what, what we talk about. And so I, and so I, I, remember, I remember sitting there and telling her, okay, I said, well, there's, there's, she's like, is there anything else that you're dealing with? And I was like, no, 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 everything's great. So the next time we met, she's like, uh, I was like, okay, well, we're getting right to the end of the session, right? So, and I just like, I have to say something because obviously if I'm cutting myself, this is an issue that needs to be dealt with, right? And so I said, I said, well, there is one more thing. And she's like, and she didn't even blink an eye. She's like, okay, because she knew, she knew that it wasn't just it, right? And so I told her, well, I'm cutting myself. And she's like, oh, oh, okay, that's it. I'm like, like, what do you mean that's it? Like this is... But it was great because it wasn't the reaction that I thought, right? So, I, again, bringing this all back to, it was a safe place for me to just process through with this person, right? And it was a safe place that um, there wasn't going to be repercussions or I wasn't going to get in trouble. That was my big thing. I don't want to get in trouble, right? I just want to do what I need to do and just whatever I need to do. Check the boxes and, and, and that's fine. Uh, and for me, that's what I needed because... Uh, that was something that would be difficult to tell to Kareem or to uh, a friend, at least at that time. I mean, I'm telling everybody at this point, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I think there's something that goes into it. But back to what you were saying is, I think that, you, you know, over the years, you've done so much, because you're very intelligent, you're very introspective, you process to a deep level. Well, I love Jackson level. Brown. I well, mean, if that says anything about me... <laughs> I, I, I don't want to claim just because he's a good <laughs> songwriter that, that somehow I'm emotionally healthy, but I think it helps. Hey, it take, Hey, you're no longer running on empty, my friend. That's right. <laughs> you know, the doctor, he, he doctored my eyes and then just, just, everything's open. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. And when that post came up, that my, the, yeah, I, had, I had to send that to you. That was, that was awesome. Anyways, um, uh, well, thank you for the oh yeah, okay. thank you. Yeah, yeah. but no, kind of you. Um, but yeah, so you you think and you process to a deep level, and I think because of that, I think that you have processed through a lot of things. And again, I don't know where you're at. I mean, you know, obviously better than I do where you're at. But I think it's like um, you know, I think people know when it's time to see that professional. And it's just whether or not internally we say, yeah, I, I need to take that step. Sure. Some people maybe don't ever need to. Some people need to, but they don't. And you have to find other ways to process. It goes back to what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago. Community. Do you have people in your life, not just that you just hang out with, but that you that you can have these kind of conversations with? Because that's what real intentional community is. It's just like, not that we know each other's deepest, darkest secrets, but that, um, that no matter what you're going through, even if I don't have a solution to it. I'm like, dude, that totally sucks. All right, I have no, I have no, I have no answer for you. Yeah, but I'm here. That's what I like about you. You have no answer for me. Hey, I get that a lot. But I you're get, here. But I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm oh. joking. Yeah, yeah, you know, I think interestingly during COVID, I think everyone has this this time to reflect in their life. And I thought, am I getting worse? Am I getting better? Right. During this time? Have I made any progress? 
from where I was before COVID to where I am today. Okay, progress in what way and with what? Like, what are you specifically talking okay, about? So this I'm, is good. Okay, I'm specifically talking about things that I know I should have done. Okay. And so, um, or things that have been plaguing me for years. Like, even with relationships, I find myself repeating the same circle. Right. You know, dating the same girl. Breaking up for the same reasons. Right. Because she's the same girl. Right. Almost at the same time. And wow. I thought, you know, this is, that's, that's the solution. That's not the problem, ah, right? Ah, right. So what was my, who do I really want? Find her. Right. You know, and then dealing with that, what is it like to date someone who is healthy? Mm. And then to work through the things and say, not just say, oh, I don't like that because this is what a healthy girl is. She's lacking all these things from, okay. I love the unhealth of the unhealthy girl. Right. 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 But that's just me in another way drinking oh. or numbing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So now I say, well, this is what you get from a healthy girl. Mm. I'm not trying to generalize too much or be insensitive. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying. No, you're, you're talking about your perspective. And yes. Your experience. My perspective. And so she's. She's great because she's healthy. Right. But she doesn't have some of those things that are fun for, for me. Right. The unhealthy stuff, which, you know, it could be anything. It could be pop culture. Yeah. Whatever. You don't get it all. So for, for me, kind of facing reality and embracing it and going, okay, I've made steps in that way. I have a healthy partner. This is good for me. Right. It's a big part of my life because I've been on that merry-go-round for right. years yeah. and um or other things uh, when it comes to you know work stuff or those sorts of things i'm i'm saying well when have i been happiest when did i have when do i feel like i'm firing on all cylinders right it was when i did this this and this right and instead of just saying no i want to only do this right but that's not what worked for me in the past so the embracing and saying, it's kind of just coming to grips with reality. Right. And so how have I moved forward in embracing what's real instead of, for me, what might be a fantasy? Right. So I've always dealt with, <clears throat> with career ministry. Right. Because I, you know, I went to seminary, I put yeah. in all this time, yeah. I did all this thing, work at all the churches for so little money. Yeah. And you got these skills and these perspectives and, and you think, I want to use that for, for so I want to grow. That's what, yeah. that's what my apex is for me. I was talking to some friends the other night, and they said, you know what, you were really, when you were firing, you were building your um, insurance book. Right. You were, um, and you were doing the ministries. So. Right. So it was a both and. Yeah. Because if you just have one, you can't, I can't be happy if I don't have the means to support myself in life. Right. So the and then I always said no no I want this and that all right. together in one and we've talked about that yeah. before yeah and then they're saying no that's not true that's not healthy and it's not real right what you need is both so at some point maybe you can do everything you want when you want right but it's a really an entitlement sort of situation. I want to work in the ministry. Right. I want to get paid what I get paid doing right. sales. Right. Do you understand me? <laughs> <laughs> and I, 
want it all. <laughs> this is my song. <clears throat> Twisted Sister. Is that Twisted there, Sister? Uh, I, I got like three songs that right. have that phrase in it. So. I want it all. And I want it now. <laughs> <laughs> That's the story of my life. Right. And so during this time, I've come to those two realizations. You can't have it all. Right. And you can't have it now. Right. Even if you could have it. Right. So... I, I'm trying to move towards saying, I'm doing both now. Right. And that's what I'm doing. Right. And I'm dating a healthy woman. Right. And I might not have all the, she might not let me slide on everything that right. the other ones used to let right. me slide on. But that's good for me. Yeah. Right. And there's something, when I press through that initial run, mm -hmm. I don't want you. Right. When I press through that, I said, oh my gosh. This is what it's like to see someone be healthy. Right. So am I in a better place? Nothing much has changed except, you know, the relationship and things are getting back on track with the business and with ministry. Right. So it's not there yet, but I've understood kind of, man, I'm an entitled brat. <laughs> and what I want is actually unhealthy. Right. That's huge yeah. to realize that. I mean, and what, okay, I love the way that you frame this up too, Ben, which is like, because a lot of times in my mind, bef okay, I gotta be careful with this. Ah, I'll just say it and I'll explain it later. Um, before I got married, I was looking for the perfect girl, right? Doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And I love, because you didn't say, oh, this is the perfect girl. You're saying this is a healthy woman. Mm -hmm. Such a big difference. Now, the reason I pause at that is not because I just don't want, you know, Karine hears this to say like, what, you don't think I'm perfect? And she would never say that. Sure. But anyways, anyway, I'm just going to stop. Anyway, so, but I think that's so healthy to be able to say, it's like, this is what health looks like. Because we can identify what's unhealthy, but what happens? We get into a pattern of behavior and a habit of living, right? It becomes a lifestyle. And so we then fall into the same routines when, when things are uncomfortable or and then it's the same pattern of it not working out. Because what I hear you saying, Ben, is you're describing for me, for everybody, emotional sobriety. Mm. You're looking at reality. And the fact that you can say, like, that's not reality. We make it our reality and we make unhealth our reality. And it's so easy to... It's so easy to live in unhealthy habits because we're used to doing that. Again, those roots having to be taken out, having to be thrown away, cast out, not allowing them to grow, right? It's the classic, hey, what's going to grow in your garden? Whatever you water, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't root out the weeds, that's what's going to take over. That's just how it is. That's how it is in our mental, our emotional, and our spiritual life. We have to understand that. That's where the 12 steps, whether it's NA or AA or whatever, help us to not just realize our need for help, realize that, like it says in the big book, that alcoholism is a spiritual malady. It's a spiritual problem because I can, I can work on my mental and emotional health, but if I'm not growing spiritually, I'm going to relapse. Same thing, if I'm just living in a spiritual area and not dealing with my mental and emotional health in reality, like what you're talking about, mm -hmm. I'm going to relapse, whether it's relapsing into old patterns of behavior, thought, emotion, and action, um, or relapsing using substances again. It's going to happen because I'm not diligent and vigilantly, diligently, anyways, actually working out what I need to do, right? And, you know, uh, on my phone, 
I actually have 9 a.m. every morning uh, comes up this reminder that says, Lord, I will step into all that you have for me today. It used to be, Lord, I'll step into whatever you have for me today. And I felt like the Lord said, I want you to change that to all that I have for you, right? Mm. And that changes my perspective. So at nine, when that thing dings and comes up on my phone, and sometimes it catches me by surprise. Because sometimes you know, I'll be doing whatever, and it'll ding, and I'll just, you know, just, okay, whatever. And I, I won't pay attention. So I was driving to, to get like my second round of McDonald's coffee the other day. Dang. Uh, you know, and, uh, and it came up. And I'm driving, and it came up, and I looked at it, and I went, and I actually got a little scared. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I don't know, one, how I forgot my daily reminder that comes up every single day, and it has, like, for the last two years. And I was like, I got, I got scared. I was like, oh, like what's going to happen today? Like, I, like how am I going to handle it? And I'm like, the whole point of that reminder, Aaron, is that um, you have to give your life and your will over to the care of God on a daily basis, sometimes on a moment-to-moment basis. Um, knowing that, whatever you're going to step into, I'm not stepping into alone. That I have God with me. That there's nothing too huge for my God to deal with, right? Battle's already won. What I have to understand is I still need to fight through it sometimes. And that can be scary. And sometimes I lose. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I make the wrong decision. Um, but the wrong decisions I make are not as monumental as they used to be. Because it used to be, oh, screw it, man. I don't like this. I'm going to go drink or I'm going to use. And then nothing ever good comes of that. Now it might be an, an emotional lapse or a mental lapse or I get triggered and I lose my temper. I can fix that. I can come through and I can apologize. I can ask for forgiveness. I can give restitution. I can make amends. I can do whatever. Or I can adjust how I'm feeling and what I'm thinking to get through the day. But if I go back to using, there's a whole amount of stuff that I am going to have to really work through. Right. If that makes sense. Yes. So, <clears throat> um, my friend Jamie, uh, who also who I went through uh, uh, the retreat with, um, he, 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 gave this, he gave this phrase. He said the big three, he calls them the axis of power. Love this phrase. He said the three things that are difficult are dealing with guilt, shame, and regret. He said mm-hmm. those, the, 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 the axis of power. Um, and we started kind of, I was asking him about that. That'd, that'd be a great band name. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> guilt, shame, and and regret. That's <laughs> three guys. Oh my gosh, at the new rush. No, anyways. I want uh, it all. <laughs> Their favorite song, Entitlement, coming right now. Doing the cover of I Want It All. <laughs> Guilt, shame, and oh regret. God. That's actually a Queen song. I want it. And I want it now. That's oh, Queen. that's. Yeah, is Queen. it? Yeah, yeah. You um, know what I was doing? I was mixing hey, that song and what, I Want to Rock. rock. Yeah. <laughs> They're two different songs. That's okay. Hey, this is a safe place. This is, this is I want to rock. <laughs> Somebody should mash that, man. That's good. Anyway. That's good. Okay, I'm playing that in my head yeah. right now. Okay. And we're back. Um, but he said, yeah, so guilt, shame, and regret. And so I was asking him about that, and he, and he, he chimed in and said, you know, guilt is good. Because guilt is what motivates us to change. Because really, that's our conscience. Like, when we feel guilty for something, we have an awareness 
that what I did or something that happened, that wasn't right. And there should be an adjustment. You know, it's like you put your hand on a hot stove, you pull it away. Why? Because there's something telling mm-hmm. you that that's mm-hmm. going to cause pain, right? You shouldn't have done that. And that's, that's how guilt works, right? What happens is when guilt, for me anyways, I would feel guilty like when I was drinking and using and hiding it from everybody. I feel so guilty and so um, that would lead into that what I like this blanket of shame. It's like a, a, a it's like a wet blanket that just and I got so used to living in shame that when I wasn't feeling guilty or shame ashamed about something, I didn't know how to process. You were talking about patterns of behavior. Yes. You get to that cycle and <clears throat> you have an opportunity here. You're at that apex, right? Do I change or break up with this person? Is there going to be something different? Am I going to make you? What's going to be different, right? And that's what would happen. I'd go through these cycles where uh, I'd feel guilty, but I wouldn't change. And then I would just take on this, this shame and I'd live in this shame. And then all my decisions were motivated by condemnation, by shame, by feeling so bad about myself. And I've said this before. There's nothing that anybody could have ever said to me or about me that would have hurt as much as what I thought about myself and how I felt about myself. Mm-hmm. Um, because I just, um, I felt worthless uh, and... You know, if, again, to frame this up, because I think this is important for especially the church to know or for Christians to know, is that did I realize Jesus loved me? Yeah, I understood it. Theologically, I could bring you through the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament and show you how God, and I would preach this, God always meets us where we're at. God always initiates. God always gives grace. There's always mercy. Consequences for actions, but mercy, forgiveness, and restoration. I knew that back and forth. I'd preach tons of sermons on that, right? I would teach this during um, different places I would go in my, in my, um, in, in my uh, teaching on discipleship. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple, to be a Christian, a follower of Christ? Up and down, back and forth. So I knew it, but that doesn't mean that when I was dealing with guilt and shame, I understood how to receive the love of God. And that was so huge for me. For years, I was performing for God, but I wasn't receiving his love. I wasn't receiving consistently his forgiveness and his mercy, right? And these are so, I don't know, you put it in this context, it just seems so, well, you know, Jesus is the answer, and if you just knew Jesus loves you, it's like, yeah, obviously Jesus is the answer. But what does that freaking look like in my life? Don't tell me Jesus loves me. Show me what that looks like. Because I can say that all day long, and this person's life is not going to change. Now, sovereignty of God, power of the Holy Spirit, notwithstanding. I understand that, boom, things can happen. Deliverance can happen. I know people that it's happened to. It's happened in my life to a certain extent with different things. But what I need, I think what people need, are people who don't have the answers are not going to point somebody to a theological, superficial, placated, refrigerator verse answer and are going to say, I don't know. I do know Jesus is the answer. I don't know what that looks like for you. I'm not going to leave your Full effects in all of our lives, of all of our trauma and everything that we did to numb it. Yeah. It still reverberates today. Yeah. Real quick, so... Uh, I accidentally hit pause on the podcast, so if there's a big, there's going to be a, there's going to be a sentence, and then it's going to start into this. There's nothing wrong with what you're listening to. I hit the wrong flipping button about 50 minutes into it. So, 50? Uh, we went 55 minutes, and then I somehow hit the oh, button. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, are you going to go shishi? 
Uh, no, no, no. This no. is what we. Yeah. That's what this we would normally be a break. bathroom break. Yeah, okay. but um, but we're just going to continue. And sorry that you missed it, but you can catch the missing segment, huh? Yes. Because I'm going to save it on Instagram for people to view later. So I apologize about that. When I was talking with my hands, I accidentally hit the, the pause button on this. So, so this would be saved in your, um, like on your bio, like I don't know where you save it. On I have Instagram. no idea. All I know is that when I when we get done with this, I'm gonna hit stop mm-hmm. and figure out how to keep it for later viewing. Got it. I remember yeah. I hit the wrong button the last time. So if nothing else, it'll live, it'll live there. You guys can check out the full, the full episode there. So I have no idea how long we've been going because 55 minutes into this, I hit the wrong button because I talk with my hands. Is that what happened? Yeah, yeah. Well. And I kept on looking down going, how come it's only 55 minutes, man? It seems like it's been longer. And then I realized it's not moving. We had some gold in there too. That's okay. You catch it on Instagram. We, we, we yeah. got it over here, hopefully. And hopefully it's not like super muffled. Hopefully everything is working. I might have to just, I might have to, you know what I have to do? I might have to just buckle down and like get a camera, get some equipment. Do it. I mean, I mean the lighting, get the lighting, get the whole thing. Well, I don't this know is a nice that. setting. Yeah. I think it, it, could, it could work well. I think it could as well. Oh my gosh. Anyway, so I have no idea how long we've been going. One more thing um, uh, I wanted to talk about, my, my, my friends were bringing up when I was uh, talking to them this morning, um, is, um, and actually, you know, I listened to a couple of other podcasts, and one is called um, Don't Die by Bob Forrest. I've referenced it many, many times, um, and uh, they, they kind of talk about, it's been going on for a while, they talk about everything. I mean, everything. So uh, it's not for everybody, but if you're, <laughs> if you're an addict, listen to it. Uh, I mean, I would even say if you're a fan of of uh, '80s and '90s music scene, yeah, that's, listen that's to everything this. To me. Bob Force is a, a, the lead singer for um, Thelonious Monster, one of the all-time greatest, not well-known bands in LA during the uh, early '80s and into the '90s. Oh wow! He was he was great friends, still is with uh, the guys from Red Hot Chili Peppers. Very instrumental in some of those members getting and staying sober. He was instrumental in getting um, the drummer from Guns N' Roses. Mm. Um, no, Duff McKagan was the, is the bass player. Adler. Yeah, Stephen Adler. He was he was instrumental in helping Stephen Adler in his sobriety. Um, so yeah. Anyways, he's got a very unique uh, and very uh, matter of fact view on this stuff, and he works in the recovery industry. Uh, still has done it for years and years and years. And I just, I just love, but he was even talking about, um, uh, that, um, you know, we, and my friend Steph brought this up this morning too, that, um, one thing that I think we want people to know if you have a family member or a loved one or a friend who's, who's struggling with addiction, uh, is that, um, everybody's process of getting healthy really is different. It's like there's not a one-size-fits-all recovery for addiction. And addiction now, like in 2021, is radically different than it was in the 80s. It just is because it's not just the drugs, but it's the mindset. It's the generation that's now wrestling with it, what, what their worldview is and all these different things. And not to mention just the whole healthcare industry and insurance and all that stuff that's not working well for people in addiction or families who are trying to get people healthy. Um, that's a whole, whole other thing that I don't know enough about to say. Um, but, but, he, um, but Bob was saying this on his, on his podcast is that, you know, um, 
we, you know, you have to take a different approach to every addict that you meet in a sense, right? Uh, and me, again, meet them where they're at. And that's what my, my friend Steph was saying. She's that just realizing that the process or, or the program that people go through is going to be different for everybody. Uh, and that there has to be grace. And that, and this is kind of, I, I don't know. Um, this is a phrase that's been around ever since recovery has been around, uh, which is, you know, relapse is a part of recovery. And so I'm kind of straddling the fence on this. I agree, yes, for some people, relapse is a part of recovery. But I don't think it always has to be. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm speaking from my own personal subjective opinion and viewpoint and my view on stuff that I've read, things that I've listened to, things that I've studied up on. Uh, and, um, you know, there are a lot of people out there who get sober on their first try that ha don't have to go to two, three, four, five, ten different rehabs, right? But I think that, um, you know, addicts are aware of how they've messed up. They're aware that their lives are out of control. Um, and they're aware that they're damaging themselves and those people that they love around them. And there's shame that brings that wall of isolation. Mm -hmm. And um, I just want to encourage people, you know, we don't want to enable people. If you have a loved one, a family member, a friend that's struggling with addiction, um, you know, if you're a parent of a, of a child who's that, like, you know, you've got to, you've got to draw hard lines and boundaries. You've got to talk to the professionals and talk to a lot of different professionals. Don't just take the advice of the first person that you hear. Um, study up on it. Do what you can. You have to keep yourself healthy if you're going to want the health of your child or your loved one or your friend to become healthy, right? They are not going to get clean and sober until they want to get clean and sober. They can even know. Like when I did that uh, intensive uh, outpatient therapy here, it was horrible, partly because I wasn't ready. You know, I went three times. I was sober at that time, the longest I'd ever been sober, a whole 10 days. I thought like, man, I got this down. This is great. I don't need this anymore. The therapy wasn't working. And I, I have to give grace because I wasn't ready. So maybe I just wasn't engaging. <clears throat> but the one thing, the one, and I've said this before, the one takeaway I have on this though, is there's this one guy in there mm -hmm. who is, uh, um, he was, he always paid, he was always aware of me in, in a non-creepy, healthy way. Like, you had people in there that, did, that were court-ordered to be there, that didn't want to be there, that had to be there, and they just like, wow, just, oh my gosh, just complaining about stuff and not doing what we're supposed to be doing. And I'm just like, at this point, I was like, I kind of want to be here, so I just wish these guys would all shut up. Of course, I never said anything. I was just in my little sat at my table, like, you know, 10 other people or whatever around this little U-shaped table, counselor person comes in or assistant or whatever, and we do something, right? Would never share, do whatever projects they had us to do. And I remember this guy would always sit in, I kind of sit in the same spot, right? And then he would always sit, like if I'm facing the front to the to my left on the very end, right? And, and he'd always kind of go, like he'd go around, like, no, I got nothing. He'd go around. And there'd be times where I'd be processing something. And people would go, be talking. He's like, whoa, whoa. He goes, I think maybe, Aaron, did, did you get a chance to share yet? And I'd be like, are you freaking kidding me, dude? I'm like, I don't want, I don't, I'm not going to, I don't want to share anything, right? Again, I wouldn't say that. I'd be like, no, 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 I'm good. And he'd, be, he'd be like, you sure? It's okay. I'm like, no, I don't want to. That was probably the healthiest thing that I brought out of the, out of the three times that I mm -hmm. went, right, to this intensive outpatient therapy thing. Um, because I was like, wow, this guy is, he's not, 
telling me to do anything. He's picking up on the signals of something that's going on in me internally. Obviously, it's, it's I, I'm showing it on my face or whatever. He probably just, you know, you know, he was well, you know, I think he was into his recovery for a while. And I think he just knew how addicts thought. And so I think he could just read where I was at. Wouldn't force me. Never really talked to him outside of it, out of the meeting. But he wanted to make sure that I knew I had an opportunity to say something if I wanted to. I just wasn't ready. And I'll, I'll carry that with me for the rest of my life. Because that shows me if I'm dealing with an addict and, and trying to help them or walking alongside somebody who's, 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 who's dealing with addiction, that... Um, it's always their choice. I'm going to always give them an opportunity, but it's their choice to make that decision. It's their choice to step into that place where a miracle could happen and they can get healthy, right? And it's a long, hard road. And I think that, again, that's, you know, do your research, take care of yourself before you take care of the family member, uh, Draw, figure out what the hard line boundaries are Always let the person know that you do love them, you do care for them, but you cannot continue to enable them. You cannot continue to help them down the path of self-destruction, right? And it's not easy. I don't know what it's like, but my wife does. And my wife at one point realized how she was enabling me and the codependency that was there. And when everything came out, she draws a hard line. She's like, no, I'm not going to do this. You figure it out. I believe the phrase that she says, do whatever you need to do, pull your head out of your and do what you need to do. And she just walked away. And I'm like, okay, I got to make some decisions here. Right. I, and I knew what I needed to do. I knew I needed to, to get into an impatient thing. And I didn't, I, I wanted to, but I didn't want to. Um, so hopefully that's an encouragement to everybody as we wrap this up. Ben, any parting words? Any wisdom? Uh, well, I, I don't have wisdom, but what you were saying about that guy in the group really yeah. stuck out because I think that the world needs more people like him. Yeah. And in my life, I would say there's been very few people. Actually, my closest friends are like that. Right. But around the world, these people are, they're one in a million. Yeah. And I would think that if anyone has a shot at being an expert empathizer like that guy and someone who can call out other people, right? this is a huge gap in society and and i think most people maybe aren't equipped or educated to know that's how you deal with somebody right you were at a meeting three times and some guy just said hey um before we go on aaron do you have anything maybe that you wanted to share yeah you didn't get a chance yet i thought maybe you wanted to you know that kind of courage and leadership oh man i think a lot of times leaders are blind right they're empathetically um, handicapped and even the best leaders, like yeah. we're talking the, the big congregation, yeah, if they're yeah. a pastor or the, right. these guys are about progress. They're about coaching. They're about telling you right. what to do. Right. That's not what helps, helps addicts. Right. That's not what helps people. These sorts of other leaders, these empathetic experts, I would call them, those sorts of people are rarer than those good leaders. Yeah. You know, someone that sees you and says, hey, you're falling through the cracks. What's going on? Yeah. I'm not going to tell you exactly what to do, but I'll be here for you. These guys are gold. Yeah. And so I want to be more like him. Right. When you said that, I said, wow, that's that guy's legit. Yeah. And that's what I need in my life. Yeah. And that's what I think most people are open to. And that's what I think 
is very rare. So if I am somebody like that, then I need to grow. And if we don't have people in our lives like that, then we need to find them. Right. Because living in that other place where people are saying, do this, don't do this. You know, even boundary setting, that's that's a big part of recovery. But you need someone else too to yeah. say, along the way, I see you. Yeah. There's people that have to, everyone has to draw their boundaries, but to, to positively get you to the place where you they do see you and you know that, you got to find these people. I got to find them. We got to be like that. And I think that's the, the takeaway for me. Right. I really love that story. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. I, and again, I, I love that too, because I think that that's really, that is a great reminder of that. And, and I think here, here's the power in that too, is that when I know that um, there's sometimes we have to carry people through stuff, right? But they still need to make decisions. Obviously, if someone's life is in danger, you need to intervene, right? It's not just like, well, figure that out. They got a gun to their head. Maybe remove, you know, (laughs) you got to do something. Um, But I think, you know, uh, drawing those boundary lines and allowing the person to make that decision, right? Um, Is, is, well, it's that. It's empowering, right? And and it resonates deeply. Um, And, um, to me, this, I, this is what, if I'm talking to Christians, um, guess what? You, we, don't, we don't have all the answers. Nobody does. And we don't have to have the answers. We simply need to be able to empathize, to sympathize, and to have compassion with people. And what I like to do is, um, in, in, in any, it doesn't have to be with somebody who's struggling with uh, substance abuse at all, somebody who's dealing with a life problem. And I, I have the privilege of being able to meet with people who have life problems and, and sit down. And I, I let them know. It's like, hey, I'm here to listen. I'm going to share, you know, whatever I think from my life can help you where you're at so you don't feel alone, that you realize that there is hope even in the darkest circumstances. Um, but ultimately, you're going to have to make the decisions yourself. Mm. And I tell them, I tell people right off the bat, I probably don't have your answers. All right. I, I might have some great advice, hopefully. I might have some, some insight that I'll share, and I'll present that to you. You do with it what you want. But just know this. If you're having a bad day, um, if you don't know what's going on or you don't know what to do, call me, text me. Again, if I don't pick up, it's not because I'm ghosting you. I'm not um, uh, screening my calls, I, but I'll get back to you as soon as possible. Uh, and I may not have the answers, but I'll listen to you. And just And I know for me, um, in those times where I was so isolated and alone, when somebody would have that compassion and I didn't feel alone, even for a minute, that's like, that was a great reprieve. That was a great rest, you know, a great oasis, even for five minutes that probably saved my life many times. And so just to encourage people out there, um, yeah, you know, if you, if you are concerned about a loved one, you're concerned about yourself, Seek help, right? Whether it's, you know, hey, whether it's going to an AA meeting or an NA meeting, whether it's, it's reaching out to a professional of some sort, right? Take the steps to get help, even if um, you know it's going to be difficult, right? And you don't have to do things perfectly. Um, fail forward. Um, and, um, yeah, fight the good fight, whatever you want to say. However, we can clichely wrap this up. Just continue to do that. There is hope. Ben, myself, I think examples of that, that there's hope no matter what. So, all right. Well, thanks for joining us here on Life by the Drop. Hopefully I'll get this thing up and running and figure out how to work this. And Ben and I will be back. 
couple weeks. Couple weeks. We'll be back when we're back. That's right. All right. You guys have a great day. Aloha. <laughs>